Well, hey, greetings, salutations, everybody. Welcome back to the channel for this installment of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open, the floor is yours. What do you guys want to talk about in this great big world of movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all that good stuff? That's what we're here to discuss. And I am, of course, your host, John Campia. Good to have you guys here for this uh, little afternoon live stream. I'm joined in studio by Ray Ora. Hey, what's up, everyone? Jonathan's here. Hello. And uh, you guys are here. Now, there's two different ways you can get a topic or a question on the show for us to address. The first way is if you're watching one of the 23 hours a day when we're not streaming live, go ahead and use our tip link at www.streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. You can use that anytime, 24 hours a day to send it in, and then we'll get around to it on the show. Or if you are watching live, go ahead and use the super chat feature in the live chat. And if your tip, comment, or question is, say, appropriate for us to address on the show, then we will address it on the show. All right. With that all said, guys, I got a little something. I thought this was kind of neat, this headline that came out before we get into your questions here. And uh, the headline said this. I don't know if we got the end of the ad there, but Sean Levy, he's the director of Deadpool 3, promises that uh, they will honor the Fox legacy of the new MCU character. So basically, there's this interview came out and kind of a topics has been going around and a little bit of a concern with some people that, you know, the, the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool that are two of the biggest R-rated box office films of all time. I believe as of right now, Deadpool and Deadpool 2 are the number three and number four highest box office grossing R-rated films of all time. And beloved, and Hugh Jackman, despite the fact that some of the movies that had Hugh Jackman's Wolverine in them weren't necessarily great, everybody loves Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, and we remember that Hugh Jackman Wolverine from Fox. And there's been some concern, and I get it, that Marvel may marvelize them. If that's, you know, we're making up words today, marvelize them and kind of that the Deadpool and the Wolverine that we're going to get in Deadpool 3 is not necessarily that 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 Deadpool and that Wolverine that we have known from the Fox era films because they're going to be Disneyfying them. They're going to be marvelizing them. Well, hold on for a second, says Sean Levy, the director of the film. That ain't necessarily so because he said this. In an interview with Total Film Magazine, Levy explained that bringing Deadpool and Wolverine into the Disney fold doesn't have to mean that the new film will negate their history at Fox. The director said uh, at his upcoming film will explore the distinct tones that characters established during their Fox era rather than simply molding them to fit the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He goes on to say, Deadpool and Wolverine are iconic Marvel characters, more specifically iconic Marvel of the Fox era characters, Levy said. We're not going to pretend, oh, we snap our fingers and suddenly that Fox legacy doesn't exist. And it shaped a lot of what we now know as the MCU. Fox also reshaped Ryan's career, Hugh's career, and my career, he said. So there's a lot of history there and there's a lot of Marvel history at Fox. And certainly that's a part of our storytelling. So essentially what Sean was saying here was like, look, we get it. There's a lot of talk, there's a lot of this, a concern about this, that, and the other thing. But this is going, I believe the translation is this. This is going to be the Deadpool we know. And regarding Hugh Jackman, even though Wolverine's Wolverine was always kind of a little bit of a different Wolverine every time he'd pop on screen, but this is going to be Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. You don't have to worry about it suddenly being a completely different character. This is going to be the Wolverine from the Fox era. This is going to be Ryan's... Deadpool from the Deadpool character. And you know what? It's not surprising 
to hear the director say this? Because even if you go back, right, go all the way back when Fox was originally acquired by Disney, um, I remember the head of Disney Motion Pictures, who's, you know, now over at Warner Brothers, but got on stage at CinemaCon and told people, and this is like four years ago, and told people at CinemaCon, Deadpool's still going to be rated R. It's still going to stay, he's going to stay Deadpool. And then a little while ago, maybe about a year or so ago, Kevin Feige, there was a lot of discussion going on about whether the Blade movie, you know, you know that movie I'm talking about, Ray? <laughs> that Blade movie that's probably never going to happen? <laughs> and that, you know, I'm talking about Blade and could Blade be R, and, and Kevin Feige came out and said, no, Blade's not going to be R. We do not do R. Like our stuff, the tone of our stuff is not R. It would be out of place to do R. Our stuff isn't going to be R. Kevin Feige said, except for Deadpool. Except for Deadpool. Which was already established as being that sort of a thing, right? So it really shouldn't come too much of a surprise, I think, to us that we would hear the director come out and say this. I mean, that's been the history, right? Like they've kind of been telling us this whole time, look, don't worry about it. The Deadpool that everybody loves, we want them to love them when they're still at Disney. And for us, that means keeping them the way he's already been. And if we're going to bring in the Hugh Jackman Wolverine, if you're going to go out of your way and bring in Hugh Jackman to play Wolverine, then you have him play the Hugh Jackman Wolverine. You don't bring Hugh Jackman to play Wolverine to play some completely different new iteration, unrecognizable Wolverine, right? At that point, you just go out and get somebody else to play him. So I still like hearing him say this, I'm just saying it shouldn't surprise us. So if anybody had any fear about it, I think Sean Levy. Now, that doesn't mean the movie's going to be good, right? Making a good movie is very difficult. They kind of struck lightning in a bottle twice with Deadpool and Deadpool 2. Who knows if they'll be able to do it with Deadpool 3. Maybe the movie will be terrible. I, I mean, wouldn't you think that they that's what they probably went over? I, I don't think Ryan Reynolds would have done it any other way either. 100%. Right? But I, that's probably what we, we've been speculating if this Deadpool was going to be Disneyfied, you know, right. that was the word before our word today, Marvelized. Marvelized. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way either. Yeah. Why would you completely change the whole thing? You would just lose all the audience that made you number three and four. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think this is a good idea. It's great. The more, I just wish we could get some more shots of this, this funny, but fitting suit that uh Hugh Jackman's wearing. I really I'm really really starting to like it. Even the shoulder things that I had a problem with, little yeah, pointy shoulder pads, it's working for me right now. The the main thing is the mask. How does it look with the mask on? If he has a Holds mask. it down. Is it going to be the short ear Wolverine, which I love? That's the only Wolverine I like, you know, when he has a mask on, or will it be the long, obnoxious. Yeah, because there is that comic iterate. There's there is an iteration where, where the like the the IP thing comes like way out. Well, to that's here. Tom McFarlane. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that because I think that's going to look utterly ridiculous on on screen. And really, look, a lot of people have been calling the Hugh Jackman Wolverine thing the comic accurate Wolverine. It's not really. Like the, the costume we see Hugh Jackman is not actually comic accurate, but it is clearly very, very, very comic inspired. Yep. It's very much based on the, like the coloring is right. Uh, a lot of the elements are right, but it's not exactly comic accurate. It looks like they did their best they can to make it not yeah, look yeah. so funny, 
but still be to me, like it modernized. Looks like, to me, it looks like Deadpool made him wear it because it's tactical like his, but yellow and black. Yeah, you've said that before that that's your theory that maybe Deadpool gets because we never see Hugh Jackman yeah. Wolverine wear anything like that. That maybe he's you like, know, I got you a suit. Or something yeah, I got like you a suit. If we're going to go, listen, yeah. listen, Bob, if we're going to go into combat, <laughs> you got to dress the part. And, and I can see Wolverine saying something like, Snipers will be able to see me from ten miles away in a color this bright. And he Never probably mind. he probably is like, oh, why do I need body armor? I self heal. <laughs> I self heal. So what, what's funny about the shot? If that, let's say that the shots we're seeing are actually in the film, it looks like Wolverine is like dreading, like like he's been listening to Deadpool talk for like hours, and he's like, come on. It'd be you really funny too. Looks- he hears all the fourth wall breaking and everything too. <laughs> it's gonna be like it's it's. Look, there is a reason I've been calling the Deadpool 3 announcement the second biggest, most important, best piece of movie news I've ever covered in my career. The first one was, of course, when they announced that Disney bought Lucasfilm because at that point, none of us thought there was ever going to be Star Wars movies again. And that was very, very exciting at the time. But this is the second biggest one, you know, because it's Deadpool 3. It's Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine. It's seeing Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, who's had this online bromance thing going on, this fake rivalry thing for so long. It's just, I cannot wait for this movie. He must have made him an offer or gave him a story that he couldn't refuse. I, I The way Logan ended, I no one thought he would be back. It was like the perfect send-off for this, you know, Hugh Jackman and his Wolverine character. It really was. That, that's the thing. Where Logan, and that's been the argument, and I totally understand it. That has been the argument a number of people have had against having Hugh Jackman come back for Deadpool three was that Logan was such a perfect send off for the Wolverine character. Right. But I always kind of felt that if he were ever to come back, it would be to do something with Ryan Reynolds. Oh yeah. And they've been laying the groundwork of that for years and teasing it for years. So I don't know. You know, the biggest problem this movie is going to face is if it wakes more than all the other Deadpools, and it just makes a ton of money. How's that a problem? Then we got a problem of, I thought this was my last one, Ryan. You know, like, oh, he's, he's no, like, I, I guarantee he's not come back after this. I 100% guarantee he's not come back after, 100% guarantee. Oh, okay. I mean, that last Spider-Man was the biggest, right, Spider-Man, and we don't know that Tobey Maguire is coming back. Yeah, so. yeah Tobey Maguire or anything like that. So I, But I guarantee, because look, at the end of the day, remember, Hugh Jackman didn't walk away from playing Wolverine because he was tired of playing Wolverine. Yeah. The reality is, look up his age. Oh, Hugh Jackman is in his fifties, mid fifties. So, I mean, look, he still looks better than the rest of us. He's uh, fifty-four. So he's he's fifty-four years old. I thought he's older than that. To be honest, I'm sorry. Um, But I thought he was. When you look at his workout, he he basically he said this in interviews. Look, I can't keep doing that anymore. Oh yeah, definitely not. He said the 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 way it completely controlled my life because it absolutely controlled. it 100% controlled his diet. It 100% controlled his daily schedule. He was doing hours of workout every single day. And the older you get, like you can still maintain it, but the harder it gets to maintain that or or make gains. Because your body, your muscle mass starts to deplete. So Yeah, I mean, you got it now. The stuff you're doing to, to get the results you were getting when you were in your late 30s or early 40s, you have to do like 30 to 40% more when it comes to your diet and workout and stuff like that just to get the same results. 
or to maintain it. And it's, it gets, I mean, but oh my God, the results he has been getting is freaking stupid. He can deplete for a while now. Yeah, he's, and he's been eating a lot of raw chicken for a while. But anyway, <laughs> either way, I'm glad to hear Sean say this, even though it shouldn't come as a surprise. So I, I still can't wait for this movie. All right, guys, listen, with that all down, Let's get over and take a couple of questions here, shall we, that you guys have been sending in. Jonathan, what are we starting off with here? Okay. Uh, L.A. Knight, yeah. Oh, L.A. Chris, huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, Chris in Who's the not e here. Yeah, in the EU, websites and even streaming services require users' permission to store and share data. If I choose no, then Disney Plus can't share data to DGA, WGA, SAG. And Netflix probably can't even share it to studios. Complicated issue. Well, no, no, no. There's I mean, a difference. No, viewership data is different from your personal yeah. data. They still know the clicks. Yeah, like, oh, I watched this thing. That counts as a view. Well, you can't report that. Yes, they can. What they can't do is, like, say, give to the WGA, hey, on September 12th, uh, Marty Shmamarty from uh, Delaware. That guy owes me money. Uh, who uh, has five Amazon orders coming in for... Male enhancement and lawn care. Now I know where my money went. Uh, and has a family of a wife and two kids watched your show while snacking on Pringles. Like, they, they can't do that. But that's not the data that the WGA wants from the studios. They just want pure viewership data, that part. So that's, that's easier. All right, what's next? James is next. Hey, John, love the show. You said that you thought Wheel of Time season one was good. Not great, but good. I agree. I feel like they've really found their rhythm as they progress in season two. Have you watched and your thoughts? That It's interesting to hear you say it because I've heard a couple of people say that, that season two is an improvement over season one. Uh, and, and yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, the first season I thought was pretty good. It was all right. Um, it was good enough that kept me watching. Not good enough where I was like, when does season two get here? Like, it wasn't that good. But a lot of people have been saying that sort of thing. No, I haven't had a chance to start watching season two yet. It's like Only Murders in the Building season three, and it's like Warrior season three. Like, I know they're there now. I'm excited about watching them, but I haven't had a chance to get around to watching it yet. But I, I am looking forward to it. All right, what's next? Uh, Cody Hunt Films writes, uh, saw Dumb Money, loved it. Maybe I took away the wrong message of the film, but I immediately downloaded Robin Hood. Uh, I've never been into finance, but uh, do you think this might influence more people to pay attention to the stock market? Yes. It influenced him. Yeah, it influenced you. Um, I, and listen, I know because Robin Hood does not come out looking good in that movie. It is the app I use for my for my stock stuff. It, it, it is. It's just a very intuitive, easy thing to use. Um, so I, I use Robin Hood too as well. And um, yeah, I, I think it will inspire more people to, to do that. I mean, listen, stock is like anything else. Be smart, do your research. Don't think you're just going to drop a whole bunch of money to something and become rich. What happened with GameStop? Okay, let's be clear here. What happened with GameStop and AMC uh, rare is not even the right word. I don't know what the right word would be, but to say that's never happened before. And it is unlikely to ever happen again. It may, but I just, you know, while investing your money is a very good thing to do and a very wise thing to do, don't think that investing is like you're living the life of dumb money where you're going to put $5 into something and next week it's going to be worth $400,000. Like just... Just understand that. But yes, anything that encourages people to be better with their money, 
invest their money, stuff like that, I, I think is a good thing. All right, what's next? Uh, Mario writes, Giovanni, how have you not seen BlackBerry yet? Here's or There's a hockey side story where the CEO tries to buy the Pitt Penguins in 2006 and move them to Hamilton. Would you have abandoned the Leafs to root for your new hometown team? It, well, first of all, uh, that's a very big sore spot. Uh, Hamilton was supposed to get an NHL team. That was my, that's my hometown, the Hammer. Uh, we built a hockey arena. We at the time we built what was at the time a world class hockey arena. Cops Coliseum is what it was called. I think they've changed the name of it since I moved to LA. I, can't, I don't know what the new name of the arena was, but they built what was at the time a world class arena. Uh, they were going to get an NHL expansion team, and then the. Buffalo Sabres and Toronto Maple Leafs, who is my my team for life, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they um, they stepped in and blocked it because Buffalo was very, very close to Hamilton. Toronto was obviously very close to Hamilton. And uh, I don't know why L.A. can have two football teams and two baseball teams. And two strikes. And two strikes. <laughs> and, like, you can't Hamilton couldn't get its own <laughs> hockey team, even though it's an hour away from Toronto and an hour away from Buffalo. Uh, I don't know. It's a very, very, very sore spot for me. I get very angry about it. But no, actually, in reality, Toronto still would have been my team. I mean, that's the team I was born with. That's the team that probably at, you know, my retirement party, I'm going to have Toronto Maple Leaf flags up. At my eventual funeral, I'm going to have them somebody flying a couple of Toronto Maple Leaf flags. That's my team forever. But it would have been really nice to have a team in Hamilton. <laughs> it would have been really, really nice to have a team in Hamilton. All right, what's next? Uh, we've got... Emma, the Murdoch mystery with a two-parter. This may be a silly question, but I'm just curious about how they create original music and score for a non-musical movie. How much needs to be finalized in pre-production with the director producers versus can they make a lot of changes on the fly uh, through filming and post-production for a movie like Barbie with songs from big artists? Do the director producers just tell them make a song for this scene? Here's a treatment. Well, remember, there's a completely different thing between uh, soundtrack and score. Those are two different things. Like soundtrack, just pick some songs that you drop in. Score is where the real music of a movie is, where the real power of a movie, that's the John Williams, you know, that kind of stuff, That the the orchestral score that plays along with, with the scenes. Taking a song and dropping in a song, it, it, I mean, look, there's some great moments of that in movies, absolutely, that I love and adore, but that's a totally different thing. And yeah, a lot of times, uh, filmmakers will have already in mind a song they're going to want to drop here or there. Or it's like, oh, we need an original song for this, so let's get something. But score, the stuff that John Williams does is like, and Michael Giacchino and guys like that, that is much, much bigger, more in-depth. So that's the whole thing where they finish the movie, at least get the edit of the movie. They bring it into the studios where the conductors will be there with their orchestras and and like have this big, giant image, you know, all these iconic pictures you've seen of John Williams with an orchestra there with the movie up on the wall. And, and obviously they do work with the movie beforehand to compose it and go along with it. But yeah, soundtrack and score are two different things. So just keep that in mind. Do, do, do all movies, not all movies have scores though, right? Yeah. That's Can right. we say that? But then most movies, I, I most think, movies have soundtracks. No, I think it's the opposite. Really? Yeah. A lot of movies don't have soundtracks, but they'll have score. They'll oh. definitely have scores. I mean, I, I think it's very, very rare. It's rare that you have a movie that doesn't have a sound that doesn't have a score of some sorts. Um, even if it's a little bit limited here and there, not many scenes and movies don't have some kind of background music going on or whatever at, at not always, but at certain points. So yeah. All right, guys, listen, 
Uh, we're going to keep going and taking more of your questions. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break here for a second and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode. The creators of the absolute most comfortable shoes I have ever worn in my life, Vessi, and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Vessi. Now, like me, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Vessi, the shoe that claims to be incredibly comfortable and waterproof on top of that. Well, these claims are really interesting to me because as a Canadian who walked around in a lot of snow and as somebody who likes to go camping and hiking with his wife on the weekends, there's nothing more uncomfortable and horrible than walking around in wet feet. So after receiving my first pair of Vessis and noticing how incredibly good looking the shoes are and how mind boggling comfortable and flexible they are, the first thing I did was I took them into the backyard to put it to the supreme waterproof test and dipped my feet in my pool. Guys, my feet were bone dry. And like 20 seconds after having them in the pool and I touched them, the shoes themselves were also bone dry. Guys, seriously, these shoes are stupidly comfortable. They look great and they absolutely lived up to the claim of being waterproof and keeping my feet dry. I absolutely love my Vessi shoes. So guys, if you want shoes that are good looking, are ridiculously comfortable and on top of all that waterproof, you need to head to Vessi.com slash Campia and get yourselves a pair today. Go to Vessi.com slash Campia and get shoes for your best summer yet. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at vessi and mint mobile for sponsoring this episode all right guys with that down let's get back to your questions here shall we jonathan what we got up next a summer of flops right is it normal to have this many medium flops in a summer take universals uh teenage kraken renfield voyage of demeter book club strays asteroid city all flopped most of those aren't cheap either DreamWorks had its worst opening ever with $5 million in Kraken. Well, I mean, every summer, every movie season, there's a bunch of movies come out that underperform. I think, and those types of movies, by the way, very, bring that question up again there, Jonathan. Like those types, movies like Teenage Kraken. Look, the first trailer for that came out and we all saw, knew nobody was going to go see that. Like that, nothing about that looked remotely appealing. To be fair to it, I heard some people say it's actually not bad. Anyway, uh, Renfield was never going to be a big movie. Voyage of the Demeter was never going to be a big movie. Everybody knew nobody was going to go see Book Club. I thought Stray should have done better. Asteroid City, listen, his reality is most of his movies don't do much at the box office, right? Paul W. Anderson? Mm -hmm. uh, like most, most of his movies don't do much at the box office. So, But I think a lot of people were more focused on some of the bigger ones. Like you're talking about Indiana Jones, um, 
would be a mission possible. I mean, a mission possible made over half a billion, but still it underperformed a bit. So people focus on those ones, but listen, a lot of films also overperformed, right? Like Spider-Man, uh, across the Spider-Verse almost made double what the first uh, uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie made. Obviously Oppenheimer, obviously Barbie, Mario obviously Brothers. Mario. What's that? <laughs> no, no, I said Mario. Yeah, Mario. So, I mean, uh, so, no, I think it's probably been pretty much on par because a lot of those types of movies never necessarily do all that well. You know, they have the, their exceptions, but just not a lot of exceptions this year. All right, what's next? Um, right cause bad timing writes the 400 million WB reported is Dune postponed, not a loss. Companies ache to cool down spending. Oh, I don't understand the question. The 400 million Warner Brothers reported is Dune to postponed. I have no idea what that sentence means. I think I, he's talking about the 500 million they said they lost. Yeah, during the but strikes. I, I don't oh, think okay. it has. Which, I, by the way, by the way, if somebody else brought this up to me the other day. And I kind of mentioned it on the show the other day. I don't believe that anymore, that Warner Brothers, where did they lose 500? Like what, what made them lose $500 million? I have a feel, somebody brought up that they think Warner Brothers might've leaked or put out like acts, leaked this fake information to try to gain sympathy from people. But this is when you look at it, what would have made them lose money? writers being on strike, I mean, long-term it's going to make them lose money because the effects of it are coming. But it's like short-term they're not paying the writers. They're not paying the actors. Short term, they didn't lose $500 million. I think this was like something sneaky on their part to try to get sympathy or something like that. Anyway, please continue with the question. Um, companies ache to cool down spending. Uh, as long as the strike doesn't last too long, it's a boon to them. Disney's 23 content spend uh, went from 32 to $28 billion, $4 billion boost in their books. Yeah. So, look, I you can't count Dune moving as a loss of revenue because— it hadn't happened yet, right? The movie wasn't even supposed to come out yet. So you can't count something that wasn't even supposed to happen for another two months as something against your books. I also don't see how pushing Dune 2 is $400 million in, in lower cost, though, either. I no, mean, no, no. What he's saying is, like, could they be saying that they lost $500 million because they didn't. Because yeah. Dune wasn't coming out to generate that revenue. Yeah, yeah. For in that quarter. 20, for but, 2023. Yeah, for 2023. Deferred. But- it wasn't going to have come out now yeah. anyway. Even if the strikes weren't going on, they would that movie wouldn't have come out yet. So I, I don't know where they're getting those numbers from, mm -hmm, pulling yeah. those numbers we'll out. We just get Zaslav on the call right now. All right, I'll call him. Well, you know, he often he answers my calls. He picks up my calls immediately. I don't know if mm -hmm. you knew that. You have All to right. play a special note on the saxophone. All right, what's next? Uh, Amin writes, kudos to the WGA for standing their ground and fighting. I hope the members can get back up on their feet as soon as possible and start creating again. This just shows that if people actually sit down and talk in person, face to face, things get done. Listen, I people have this impression that I was against the WGA, and it, it didn't matter how often they felt because I disagreed with them on one of their nine main issues. Well, actually, I, I disagreed with one of their nine main issues, and and sort of half disagreed with one of their nine main issues. I disagree with them on residuals. I, I still will have that argument every day perfectly fine. I haven't heard a good valid reason why writers and actors are more important than everybody else that they should get residuals and everybody else who works on a movie shouldn't. That being said, uh, but I have been in agreement with them on everything else on their list, like everything else on their list. Um, and I've actually been very, they've needed to strike. 
I mean, that's the thing. They needed a strike. They had they had to get certain things, and the realities of their contract needed to change in the new realities of a streaming world and all that kind of stuff, 100%. And I think there were things on there that they absolutely needed to fight for. And what I've said before, too, is that a lot, I would say most of what they were asking for, the studio shouldn't have been fighting them on because I think ultimately what the writers were asking for, Rob and I talked about this this morning, at the end of the day, and I said this many times on the show, I think most of the stuff that the writers were fighting for are actually good for the studios. And I just don't, I don't know why the studios didn't recognize it. Cause ultimately a lot of things that the writers were asking for would lead to better content, right? Would just lead to better content. And I think that ultimately would be good for the studios too. So I don't know why they couldn't get to a quicker agreement on that. Um, yeah, I, again, I just I have a very bad taste in my mouth for both the studios and the WGA with the way this whole thing was conducted. Like again, 146 day strike, and only on nine of those days did the two sides sit down in a room. I, I, I mean, I, what what the fuck are you doing? Again, I, I'm going to use I'm going to use Dancing with the Stars as an example because I somebody involved with the show was talking to me and said they had one. Remember, they had 500 staff that makes that show happen from whether it's on-set people or administrative people. We're at 500 people involved with that show. One of them was a WGA worker. And because those two sides couldn't sit down in a room together, other people were out of work for that long too. People who had nothing to do with the strike were out of work because those two sides, because the goddamn studios and the writers union couldn't force themselves to sit down in a room. And what happened when they finally did force themselves to sit down in a room and they met for actual five days in a row? Oh, look at that. A deal got made. Oh, look. Wow. I wonder what could happen. Oh, I don't know. You actually sat down in a room together and talked. And, and, and I see a bunch of people finger pointing to either side about that. No, no, no. They both had their heads up their asses. Because the WGA was saying, we're not going to budge on this, this, and this. And then the studio said, well, then there's no reason we need to sit down because we're not going to talk unless we can talk about that, that, and that. So listen, I, I don't want to hear about anything. These were all fucking grown-ass adults who had, because of their dispute, had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people who had nothing to do with their strike. They were out of work because those two sides couldn't get their heads out of their asses and just sit down in a room and work through it the first week this strike started. It was all about dick measuring contests and playing chicken with each other. And it's like, God damn it. That's fine if it's only yourself you're affecting, but it's affecting tens of thousands of other people and other businesses and economies and all that kind of stuff because the studios couldn't just say, hey, maybe we are at an impasse, but let's sit down at a table and talk anyway. Let's let's start with the easy stuff. Okay, we're both saying we're not going to budge on this issue and this issue. Okay, we're both saying that. Why don't we just sit down and talk about the, all the other issues where maybe we both have a little bit of wiggle room and maybe some creative solutions will present themselves for those big issues that both of us say we're not going to budge on. Oh, and by the way, at the end of the day, they both budged. And which, which they should. You're supposed to budge. Both sides are supposed to compromise a little bit. And they did. And good. But I don't know why that didn't happen in the first two or three weeks. And I don't want to hear this bullshit. Well, John, that's not how negotiations happen. If you're a fucking grown up, yes, it is. And it really, again, I'm happy that the strike is over. I am. I'm happy that the studios 
did what they needed to do. I'm happy that the WGA did what they needed to do. And I'm glad a deal got done. But I, and maybe I wouldn't be as upset about this, but I have a lot of personal friends who are involved in the industry that were neither the studios nor the unions and they were out of work and they couldn't work for months and months and months. And listen, if, if both those sides had been sitting in a room every day and they just couldn't get to a deal and it took them four months, I'd go, okay, well, that sucks that it took that long, but whatever. But they weren't even in the same room for 10% of the time that the strike went on. And this has got to be something that everybody needs to look at. This has to be something that everybody needs to look at and says to each other, we can't let that happen again. Listen, we're going to have disagreements. We might even come to a logjam sometime. We might even be in another strike situation. But what we as studios and unions, what we cannot allow to happen again is that if we do get to an unfortunate strike situation, that we go months at a time without talking to each other. And never start with each other saying, by the way, here's one of the issues and we ain't budging. Don't start there. I I, I just, well, it's even very that, frustrating. Even that, that last comment that, that the uh, producers put out, we gave them our last best, best and last best, and, last and, best and final offer. Final offer. Okay. How did that help? I already, uh, I already know for a fact because it had been reported that they were in the nitty gritty of the legalese at that point, which means they already had the agreements. They just wanted to make sure there wasn't any fine print loopholes. And then they released that statement almost like a, like a see. So now when they, well, agree let, let's to be it, clear here though. Let's, let's be clear here because this, this is something that gets lost in the weeds. Sometimes they did not release a statement. Somebody was quoted yeah. Um, as saying that it's not like the, the AMPTP put together an official press release and, and made some grand statement, yeah. right? Like it, it was, it was a source quoted that said we made the best, but again, but either way it didn't help. How, no, how is that going to help? Yeah. How's that going to help? How does that help the negotiations move along? How does that help cool the temperature down a little bit so things aren't so hot so people can talk more rationally? Yeah. How does that help? Nothing. I mean, Doesn't. I read that. I remember I read that and I thought, are you, are you trying to <laughs> right. sabotage these talks by putting out a statement like that? Like it was so idiotic that, that anybody would even say something like that. Anyway, that's kind of my take on it. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, Dan, the villain writes, Hey crew, wasn't sure if you'd already discussed it, but with the WGA finally getting a deal, do you see any permanent damage that the strike has done to the film and TV industry? Yep. Listen, Chris talks about this a lot about the 2008 writer strike. And I remember Chris and I had this one discussion on, on the show once about how it forever changed the landscape, right? Like a lot of scripted series, a lot of scripted series writers never got their jobs back. As a result of the 2008 writer strike, um, again, it was a strike that needed to happen. They had some big issues that need to be dealt with. But one of the repercussions was it was the real, listen, reality TV was always around. But that brought on the big flood of reality TV where studios were like, huh, look at this. We can make this low intelligence nonsense for really cheap and we don't need union people to do it. And people watch it anyway. And what do we got today? I remember we were watching football like two weeks ago and like every commercial was for some either reality or game show 
kind of thing coming out. Like all of it, all the shows they were promoting now was reality and game shows. Buddy games, baby. Yeah, like whatever it was, right? <laughs> so we are still seeing the effects of the 2008 writer strike today. Yes, there's going to be long-term damage as a result of this. Again, I, I'm not saying that means that the WGA shouldn't have strike. They did. They have some really big issues that the studios weren't addressing, and they were in a position that they felt they needed to strike. I get it. I really do. But strikes come with consequences for everybody. And um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be real long-term. This strike lasted longer than the 2008 one did, and I do believe there's going to be long-lasting damage. All right, what's next? Uh, the dumb of all fears writes, my brother told me about a date he had last month. Uh, it was a classic movie and dinner. It ended badly as he knew there wasn't going to be a second date. Thanks to comments she made while they were, uh, queuing for concessions. What's the worst movie date you've had? Ooh, the worst movie date I had, by the way, I love that you put it in the right order, movie and dinner, little date advice for everybody from Dr. Campia, MD, love doctor, as people call me. Don't do dinner in a movie. Do movie and dinner. All right? I've been given this advice for many years. You don't go to a movie and a dinner. You don't go to dinner in a movie first. You don't go to dinner first because you're sitting down. You don't have any shared experiences together, unless you've known each other for a while. But if it's like a first date, you're just getting to know each other. You go to a movie first, you don't have any shared experiences yet. It can be a little bit awkward, you know, that first dinner get together. And then you're ending the evening by going to a movie where the two of you aren't even talking to each other. You're just sitting there watching a movie. What you do is you go to the movie first, then you go to dinner. Because you've now gone to the movie, now, now you have a shared experience together watching the movie. Now you go to dinner. Number one, you're ending your evening actually conversing with each other and talking to each other. And having had that shared movie experience, you got a great starting point for starting your conversations about what you liked, didn't like, all that kind of stuff. It's So just remember, guys, and teach your children this, you don't do dinner in a movie, you do movie and dinner. That being said, that's, that's all the gold nuggets of wisdom I'm going to pass out there. <laughs> um, man, yes, I have been on movie dates where I could tell I didn't, I wasn't interested in going out with this person again. But it rarely had anything to do with the movie, though. Like, it was more like your brother's thing. Like, instantly I met, and I could tell either their sense of humor was weird, or they smelt like feet, or whatever. That <laughs> that, that didn't happen, by the way. But but yeah, I've seen, but I, but I can't really think of a, of a really hideously bad movie date. I know, I know mine was with this girl that I really, really liked, but I was clueless back then when I when I took her to the movie. We watched Angel Eyes. Remember Angel Eyes with uh, Jennifer Lopez? Yeah, I was going to say, this is Jennifer Lopez, right? right? okay. Yeah. And when we were sitting in my car, because I was going to drop her off out of her car, she just kept talking about, oh, I, I, she was like, she was hungry or whatever. And I, for some reason, I had no idea. I couldn't put the two to two together. And so I dropped off her car I think she wanted to go eat afterwards. You know I'd what I mean? I'd say so. I'd say so. She kept and then, like, it, I never talked to her again. It was like, it just, and dang, she was really, really good looking. <laughs> Why didn't I you just, take her I think I was, no, you know what? It started off because I was so nervous that I was actually going to a movie with this girl that 
through the whole movie, I swear I had to have like a paper towel and pop because I was just sweating profusely. <laughs> it was just, I was just so embarrassed just because like, you know, I got all dressed up and whatever, but it was really hot in that theater. So it was long sleeve. And, and it, I just, I just thought in my head, it was just all in my head that this, this ain't working right, working out, you know, like she's seen me sweat, but she probably had no idea, whatever. But it was just the way I felt. So it was kind of like, and then I thought about it after and like her cousin even told me, yeah, you guys should have went to go eat. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. I, I think the worst thing that ever happened to me, I mean, the, the fastest I checked out mentally of a date was I went out with this girl and it was in the first early days before I met Anne, the first early days of when I moved to LA and went out for dinner with this girl and uh, went to that that Brazilian place in Hollywood, mm -hmm. that Bossa Nova. Remember that place? Oh, wow. God, that's the thing I miss most about living in Hollywood is that restaurant. I love that restaurant. Anyway, took a girl to that place and we're five minutes in and she's talking to me about like life in Canada. She's like, oh, you know, I'm saying, obviously like I'm a big hockey guy. And she goes, oh, I hate hockey. Oh. And th for the entire rest of the night, all I heard was Charlie Brown's teacher whenever she would move her lips. Because oh, when she said to me, oh, I hate hockey, I'm like, I checked out. Like, you didn't even ask her why. What if like her brother, who was her twin, was played hockey and he died from a puck? Then that's the way to go. Head. That's how a Canadian <laughs> dreams of going. That's the only real man's way to you check out. You didn't see the reasoning. That's what the if way to go. Traumatizing story, John. No, it was just. It wasn't. Uh, there's and with pain behind her eyes, going, I can't watch hockey. No, no, it was. <laughs> oh, I hate hockey. I'm like, you are a stupid person. I didn't say that. And you're not a stupid person <laughs> if you don't like hockey. I'm saying, I think mentally, I checked out. It's like, that'd be funny nope. if you just said that. You and I, and miss, you are a stupid person right in the middle of the restaurant. Coming up and he just turns around and walks away. He the waiter just turns hey, around and walks and away. I, I, and when you say a shared... I just got up and sat with another couple at a different table. When you say a shared experience, right? Yeah. Your rules in the thing. It's a shared experience. Yeah. That doesn't mean share the, the tab too, right? Uh, what's your what's look, your what's your deal on that? Okay, look, I am. I, look, this is just the way I was raised. It's just granted. It's old fashioned. Whatever. Um, if you're a guy, you pick up the tab. Uh, unless the look, and I was all for, it and I had, did have this happen. Rural girl would say, "Oh, I want to pay for mine." Awesome, great, sure. I don't fight them on. That's that's great. Somebody wants to be independent, pay their own thing. That's great. But to me. Uh, yeah, guys, be a man. Like, offer to pay, pick up the check, pick up the tab, and if they offer to do that as to to pick it up or to split, by all means, what? by hundred percent, all means. But otherwise, I think you need to offer. You should assume you're picking up the tab. One last question, then: If she offers, if she insists to pay, right, her, her half, is that a bad sign or a good sign? No, no, I I, I think it's neither. I think it's neither good nor bad. I think even regardless of gender or whatever, typically, if you're inviting someone out to dinner. It's just customary to pick up the tab. So yeah, if you're like, if you're taking them on a date, you ask them on a date. Right, right, right. Okay. You but, ask them to go out. You chose the restaurant. You should cover it. Okay. And, and date aside, like you know, Ann and I spent most of our married life in the LA area. Now we live out here. When we have friends from LA come out to hang out with us here, I always pick up the tab. If we go out to dinner, say so, because and I always say to them, it's like, hey, you guys made the drive. Let me pay. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but Picking up the tab. What's that like, John? 
Describe it. <laughs> describe it to me. Describe I've never. Experience. I don't even know that. Well, what you should. Fact? You've seen what me do it a hundred times. He just drops. But how does it feel? Off, so. How does it feel to be that person? I'm always on the other end of that. <laughs> All right. What's next? Uh, what is next? We are moving on to supers now. I almost went back to tips. Orange Hand writes, um, I see some people claiming that taking other people's work and training it on an AI falls under fair use. I'm not so sure about that. Your thoughts? No, it does not. It does not fall under fair use. Fair use, you when your commentary, criticism, education, things like that, the stuff they're trying to, the stuff that the studios had originally, let me rephrase. The stuff that people were afraid the studios were going to use AI for is not stuff that falls under fair use. Now, they can try to make that argument, but it's going to get beat in court. It's going to easily get defeated in court because it's not fair use. Like, training a system to mimic and replicate the work of somebody else is not fair use at all, remotely. It does not fall anywhere near the doctrine of fair use that is a part of accepted law. Now, listen, it's also important to understand that there is no law called fair use. Fair use is more of a doctrine applied in law, and there is case law for it. Uh, but no, no, the use of AI. Now, listen, there, I'm sure there would be a lot of AI uses that can fall under fair use. But like talking about a movie replicating a person's performance, or whatever, that's not fair use. That's, that's just plagiarism. All right, what's next? Uh, we got Chris, because it's kind of funny. Chris Hunt, top news story of the day. Neil deGrasse Tyson says, Moonfall has surpassed, surpassed Armageddon in breaking more laws of physics per minute than any other movie. <laughs> yes. We got to have Neil on the show sometime yeah, to I'll talk about up. like the most ridiculous application of natural world physics laws that ever existed. But I remember even us when we were watching Moonfall, we're like, that couldn't happen. That couldn't happen, and that couldn't happen. Comedy of the year for me. Oh, my God. The amount of laughs I had that night. (laughs) All right, what's next? Uh, Christopher Brickner writes, with news about the movie TV projects coming out, I can't wait to see what writers have now left their Lucasfilm project. Just kidding, but it sadly could be true. That they left their Lucasfilm projects? I can't wait to see what writers... Oh, okay, I guess. Since the writer strike's been on, they haven't been able to to make any announcements about writers and whatever. But now that the writer strikes going to be over, can't wait to find out all those writers from Lucasfilm projects that have departed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, it's true. Look, it's sad, but it is a situation that Lucasfilm created themselves. When we hear about a new star Wars movie being announced, we don't actually believe it. <laughs> right. Because we have been trained by Lucasfilm not to believe it. Oh, we got this fantastic Rogue Squadron movie coming. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that never happened. Oh, Taika Academy Award winner Taika Waititi is doing this big star. Yeah, that, that, that didn't happen. Oh, Kevin Feige, architect of the MCU, is lifelong Star Wars fan, is going to be doing the Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah that, that didn't happen. Like, it's just happened over and over and over again, and now we don't believe it at all. So they announced that James Mangold's doing a Star Wars movie. I should be super excited about that. The only reason I'm not is because I don't actually believe it's happening. I mean, I think I would be getting more confoundedly confused about why on earth would you do a Ray movie right now? But I'm not getting super worked up about it because I don't actually think it's going to happen. Nah. So yeah, like I'll believe it. I won't even believe it when they announce start of production. I will believe it when first trailers come out. Then I will believe this is an actual real movie that exists. Until then, I just don't believe it. 
you 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 know you what you want to believe in that there's gonna be some cookies here tomorrow. Yeah, what happened? I heard you guys talk about that on Friday. I came in this morning think, expecting I was gonna see these Ray Batch Chef Pleasure cookies, and, and I don't see them anywhere. It's because the person I was talking to about it with is not here. Is here tomorrow, Chris. So oh. that's why I'm gonna make him tonight. Motherfucker, oh. I'm here. I'm here. Out of me and Chris. Out of me and Chris. One of these two people pays your salary. It's gonna be so I'm much here. cookies. That, that it's coming. And Rob doesn't. Rob doesn't get cookies. I thought Rob about Rob for a second. Like he doesn't like cookies. But then he doesn't like cookies. He wouldn't have eaten. As all the times I brought him baked goods, how many times have you seen Rob eat it? None. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't really pay attention. Yeah, yeah. To, to no, what Rob? No, I eating. pay attention because I'm the one who actually bakes this stuff. Oh, and I'm okay. like, Rob, you want? Some? No, no, no. Yeah, no. I decided not to do it because I got all excited. I'm listening to the show you guys are doing on Friday, and I'm like, Ray's gonna bring in cookies. Awesome. I'm like, I don't think, I don't think I've had cookies of yours since Collider. What? Oh, those were. Oh. Those were fresh. So tomorrow, they're coming. They're coming. It, it's interesting you say they're coming because those cookies were orgasm inducing. I can say that's how good Ray's cookies. Seriously, guys, that's how good Ray's cookies are. They are, <laughs> they're a party in your mouth, my friends. I know, I know those, and I lost that recipe. I, I didn't it's up remember. Here, Ray, it's up no, here. No, no, it's not. The amount of things that happened. It's I got all excited. I came in this morning. No, I don't no, know if you noticed. Tomorrow. You got it. You got into the studio before I do, and I'm like, I came in. I know. And I did one. I, I did kind of a. I didn't say anything. <laughs> But I came walking in, I did one kind of quick loop around the studio looking to it's where the cookies might be, and there were no coming. cookies. The dough is in the fridge. It's ready to be baked tonight. It's going to come tomorrow. All right. All right. Let's keep be going ready. here. What's next? Chris is back. Nice job. You're doing better than Broncos on Sunday. <laughs> I still couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm going through the scores. I got NFL Sunday ticket now because they moved it to YouTube TV. So I'm going through the, the game scores, and I, and I come across the Miami... Denver game, uh, like the score on the bottom. And I'm like, well, that's a typo. That's a typo. There's no way that team has 60 points, 60 some odd points in the fourth quarter. That's, that's a typo. And then I saw it again later that the final score was 70 to 20. I, it's never, I've never seen it happen before. Like I, man, I, I don't know. I don't care who it is. And I'm sure they're wonderful people. And you never want to fire anybody because of the results of one game. But if you are a defensive coordinator of a team, you're a defensive coach, and your team puts up, let's 70 points get put up. I'm sorry. You're looking for a new line of work for the like next day. Is that like three touchdowns a, like a quarter? Well, no, that would be 80-something. Yeah, that's true. But but it's it was more than two touchdowns yeah. per quarter. <laughs> it's like are you, what? Wow! Yeah, I, some, there's some basketball games that don't even get seventy. It's true. I've seen a basketball <laughs> game where a team didn't get seventy. Was it in a way? Was it in a way game for them? I don't know. To be honest, I, I'm thinking maybe, I was watching the other games. I, I was thinking maybe one. defense didn't get on the bus. <laughs> they forgot to get on the and bus. And I'm yeah. so glad you guys bring up football, and that's the reason why I'm baking cookies tonight. Because I don't want to watch my team go 0-3. Well, I was going to say, you, you're going to come over no, and watch the game. Because they're right? going 0-3. Because they're playing the Rams, and we don't have good luck against the Rams. Well, the Rams are only 1-1. One one. Well, only 1-1? One one? What's one, the Bengals? 0-2? No, no. well, we don't even got that W yet. I think, you know what I think we're going to do? What we're do you just think? just packing in the season. All this right. better be a it's good break. in. They, this by the be way, a good rack. By the way, Ray, last year they started 0-2 as well. And they had a pretty damn good season. Oh, 
Just saying. Just saying. All right. What's next? Well, Robert is here. I hope we get Nightcrawler and Deadpool 3. No. <laughs> You've been denied. There's nothing. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Listen, I love the Nightcrawler character, Kurt Wagner. I love the Nightcrawler character. Um, I, re I remember, like, as, as a Christian kid, I, was all, I also loved Nightcrawler and the things because he was a real, he was one of the few popular, like, comic book characters that was, like, a faith-based character, too, right? And I kind of like that. I hate faith-based movies, but I like seeing faith-based characters. But, I mean, they are, this can't become Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness 2, where yeah. every five minutes we're saying, this character should be in there, and it should have X-23, and it should have this character, and it should have this character, and this character should be there, and this character should be there, and this character should be there. I, I really hope they are smart enough to go, we got to pump the brakes on that. We got Deadpool, we got Wolverine. We're going to have some of the classic X-Men characters pop up, but we can't have all of them pop up, right? So... I'm going to go out on a limb and guess we're not going to get Kurt Wagner. But, I mean, I don't know that for fact. I haven't talked to Sean Levy about it. I don't know. But my guess is we we're no, we won't and we probably shouldn't. They've got enough characters in there already. I don't think they should pack any more. All right. What's next? We got uh, Devin Lita who writes, couldn't Disney release a line of more mature Marvel films that are distinct from PG-13 MCU films similar to DC? It would diversify content for them. I'm not opposed to Elseworlds, but... But, but yeah, I, I want them to do Elseworlds stuff. I do. But what's the point in making it R? Like, why? What's the point? Yeah. Like, he, here's the truth. Here's the reality. Way more R-rated comic book films fail at the box office yeah. than succeed. That's that's just facts. That's history. It just... That is what it is. Um, Because if... Here's the thing to keep in mind. Remember I said uh, Deadpool's number three and number four highest grossing... R-rated films of all time, right? They wouldn't even be in the top 15 top box office comic book films of all time. Neither of them made $800 million. And Marvel, I mean, even Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness made $900 million, made over $900 million. So I don't know that the question would be why. And then you're just like, well, let's just make R-rated movies for the sake of making R-rated movies. And, and I love Filthy. Bring on the filthy. I love the filthy. I want to see, I want to see <laughs> exchanging of body fluids and I want to see all that good, dirty stuff. I love it. I want to see, you know, all the, all the oh, violence yeah, and all the, sexual, how, all the nudity. It's funny this how your sentence says blank, you blank out when you get to that point of. Because I got to, because I evaluate I what can I say? I say <laughs> what can I say? This is me activating the filter between <laughs> my brain and my mouth. I was going to say one of those dates went bad with this <laughs> speech right here at one point. <laughs> um, I am, um, yeah, I, I want to see all that good stuff, but the reality does a comp, there's very, 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 very few comic book properties that need something like that. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. And as in like, let's say killing wise in like a, a movies, you could get away with so much now you get away without so much because I was thinking, oh, I would love to see an R-rated Blade, but I think you could cut people's heads off and it, it'll still be PG. -13. As long as you don't show blood splatter, like I'll, or if they're vampires. Here's a good example. Here's a good These example. Creatures. Yes, as, as, if it's monsters, aliens, or robots, you can have, like, you can rip off people's heads and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot you can get away with. A good example of this is a movie that not everybody loved, but uh, Venom Two, right? There will be carnage. All right. Now, I like that movie. Not as much as the first Venom, but that was a PG-13 movie. If you actually sit down and watch that movie, there's a lot of murder and some pretty gruesome murder. 
particularly with the scene where Carnage is breaking out of prison mm -hmm. and all the stuff he does to the guards. Now, granted, there wasn't blood splatter, wasn't all that, but there was, with violence, there's a lot you can get away with. Um, and I don't know that necessarily showing the spine actually become exposed as the neck flesh rips off and blood splatters are, does that make the movie better? I, I, I don't know. I think there's very, very, very few yeah. movie properties that actually require something to be R for it to live up to its full potential. So I I don't know why Marvel would would go through the hassle of creating division just so they could make adult-themed comic book films. When there are other... Listen, even Marvel's biggest flops... Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania makes more money than any of the M of the DCEU films of the past seven years. So when you're in a position where the movies you make, even your biggest flops, make over $400 million, why would you make a division that's just for making... Now, I, I want them to do Elseworld stories. I really, really do. I've been saying that for years. But I don't know why you would necessarily have to go out of your way to make them R-rated. They're having trouble doing just regular stories right They now. have trouble getting that together. All right, what's next? Devin is back and rides. Still want X-Force, even if released by Disney. I, I Listen, I'm not going to lie. I would get a big kick out of seeing X-Force. I mean, I don't know if it would get a lot of people go to see it. Who's but on that team? Well, I mean, they're like the X-Men in the sense that there's been a lot of, like, Deadpool's yeah. been on it. Cable's been on it. I mean, they've had a lot of people on I mean, they've had X-Men on it, too. I mean, uh, X-Men members as well, right? I mean, Yeah, Cyclops like a lot of interchanging. So. You know what would be really cool, though? Speaking of Nightcrawler. Excalibur. Mm. I actually really loved the Excalibur line. Uh, Nightcrawler, at least for a good period of time, was the leader of that team. That was a really cool comic um, in that the X-Men circles. And no one talks about Excalibur. But yeah, I, I would get a big kick out of an X-Force movie. Actually, there were rumors going around before the Disney acquisition mm -hmm. of Fox that Fox was looking at, mm -hmm. they were developing an X-Force movie. Didn't actually come to be, though. All right, what's next? Uh, Jason writes, Hey, John, I enjoyed Dead Reckoning Part 1, but it underperformed at the box office. How worried should Paramount be about the prospects for Part 2? Yeah, they're concerned. They're but listen, we've seen examples where sequels come out and exceeded the, the first one and stuff like that. But I think they are concerned. Again, I, this conversation went on over a year. Like when we would talk about the biggest films coming in 2023 and I would have, so, and listen, a lot of them were you guys swearing that the, the Mission Impossible movie was going to be one of the billion-dollar films. And I certainly thought it could be big, and I certainly thought it had a chance to be a billion-dollar film, but I always kept reminding everybody, guys, look at the history of this franchise. None of these movies have ever even got super close to being a billion-dollar film. Like, none of them have been. Now, I still think it underperformed at five. What, what did we say the final thing? I was like 570 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Let me look that it's up. Close, it was close to that. Somewhere around the $570 million range, right. which is which is pretty decent for most movies. But that's, that's really not far off what the overall average of the franchise is. Five, what, 567. $567 million. It's, it's like it's that underperformed, but it's not all that far off from even the top grossing film in the franchise, one or $200 million off. Um, but yes, they should be concerned because, you know, if people don't go to see the first one. Will they be all that invested in the second one? And I, I'm not really sure. All right. What's next? We got uh, Christ Courage. He says, rest in peace, Ducky from NCIS. Yeah, I think the actor died. He was like 90. I, I've he, never seen I don't an know episode much about of NCIS. NCIS so I've, yeah. Uh, but that is sad to hear. 
But I, yeah, again, I, I've never seen the show myself, so I don't know who we're talking about. Um, All right, what's next? John Redcorn writes, Expendables opened with $8 million. Yep. Uh, and 19 worldwide on a $100 million budget. Is this the biggest flop of the year, or is it something else like Indie or Flash? Hmm, That's a good question, because you like a $100 million budget, then you figure they probably put in a good $50 million, um, probably a good $50 million to market it. So you're looking at something that would need to come in around the neighborhood of, yeah, it's going to end up losing about $200 million. No, 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 no. It's going to end up losing, after you take away the theater's cut. This is Lionsgate too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I, I, and I'm going to tell you this, you know, sometimes a movie opens week, like uh, Little Mermaid or, ex, uh, not Expendables, uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Elemental. Elemental. And all of a sudden it has this insane legs and they get to like half a billion dollars and all that kind of stuff because of word of mouth and p- people come back. Yeah, that's not going to happen with Expendables 4. If anybody thinks, yeah, yeah, it may have only opened with $8 million, but it's going to have big second weekend. It's going to have big word of mouth. No, no. I. This is a movie that opened with $8 million and still going to take more than a 60% drop next oh. weekend. Oh, it's going to have big word of mouth. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not the word of mouth that they want. Yeah. All right. What's next? Uh, Ethan Company Entertainment writes, Hey, John, love the show. Have you seen the new Futurama? And what do you think of it? Also, do you think uh, you'll review it someday? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Nah. I I mean, listen, Futurama was a show I would float in and out of. Like, I'd watch a few episodes and then not watch it for a year. And then watch a couple episodes and then not watch it for two years. I'm not a big Futurama guy. Uh, They certainly had some killer episodes. Like, anything with Zap Brannigan was always great and that kind of stuff. But... I, I just never found it all that funny. And, and, and listen, I don't mean that as any disrespect to anybody who does like it. I've got friends who absolutely adore Futurama. Um, and so I'm thrilled that it it came back for the people who liked it. But I, I was never much of a Futurama guy, to be honest with you. So no, I'll, I'll never review it. All right, what's next? Um, we got uh, Abel Leon who writes, not going to lie, now that the strike is over, I can't wait until the uh, John Oliver show goes back live just to see him roast the studio. LOL. Yeah. Last week tonight is a freaking awesome, awesome. It's, it's won so many Emmys now it's John Oliver is just, I I mean, he trained and learned under John Stewart. Uh, But uh, Oliver is like just top of his form. Absolutely fantastic. The research that goes into their shows, the way they present the information and make it utterly hilarious. Um, is I still remember he did this one last year on HOAs, homeowner associations. Just, it was just fantastic. It was just so good. It's, it's like, oh God, that's a really well done show. I can't wait for that one to come back. All right. What's next? Uh, we got, uh, let me scroll here. Oh no, no, wait, Ethan. Wait. Oh yeah. Sorry. This is Ethan. Different one. Uh, man of steel two as an elseworlds movie. Nah, they, Mm. they won't do that. Like, look, the reality is. It doesn't matter how much I love uh, Henry Cavill as Superman. Most people didn't. That's why most people are stupid. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't do that as a, even aside from that. It's like, well, then does that mean the DCEU is still around? Yeah, or see, that would be too and confusing? that's the thing. Like, if you're moving on, you need to move on. You can't play this game where we're going to keep the debate going about should they have given up on that. Obviously, look, unless you've living under a rock, clearly they had to move on from the DCEU. They had to. Um, but 
I mean, there's no point in doing something like that. That's just going to stoke the divisions and stoke people being angry. Like it, it would be counterproductive to what there is they're trying to do. So while I would be there day one to see it, you know, I would be in line to see it. It would be a very, very bad decision on their part to make that movie. And, and I don't think anybody's interested in it. All right. What's next? We got uh, Charles Durai, who says, hey, John, do you think the box office numbers of MI7 and Oppenheimer would be the same had they swapped the release dates? I think MI7 would have benefited from Barbie and possible double feature. That wasn't you know, really like memed, though. There, there's, there's an argument to be made that maybe if you they came out like after Barbenheimer or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, that it could have rode that momentum. Mm-hmm. There's an argument to be made for that. But look, honestly, what I have learned a lot over the years, because I, I, I was once very much a release day strategist where I believed, and I still believe in times of year, like certain movies will do better around the Christmas season than others. Some movies will do better in the summer. I still believe in that. But like, oh, this movie can't open within three weeks of that movie. I used to believe that. I don't believe that anymore. I What I have come to, to kind of observe is that, if somebody's interested in seeing a movie, they go to see that movie. Doesn't matter what came out the week before or what's coming out the week after. Generally speaking, if somebody's interested and thinks, I want to go see that movie, they're not going to be stopped from doing it. If, oh, but I had seen a movie two weeks ago. That's very, very, very rare. I understand. Listen, going to a movie is a financial commitment too, but it's, I mean, it's less financial commitment than buying a beer at the bar, which is one of the reasons I don't drink. But I mean, um, I, I really, I've just come to believe that it, I don't know that it would have made much of a difference. If, if you were either interested in seeing MI7 or you weren't, right? I mean, I think that's really comes down to, you were either interested in seeing it or you weren't. So I don't know if, I'm not sure it would have made much of it. And again, that's a little bit of a different point of view than I had like four or five years ago. And I might have a different point of view four or five years from now, but yeah, right now I'm kind of in this belief that, Hey, if you want to see a movie, you're going to go see it. And if you're not interested, you're not going to go see it. It doesn't matter what order they come out in. So, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. All right. What's next? John Redcorn writes, uh, how about them Cowboys lost to a rebuilding team? Listen, newsflash. Only two teams in history have gone the if I if I'm remembering correctly, only two teams in history have gone through the entire regular season undefeated. Right? That one was the Miami Dolphins team, one was New England Patriots team. Maybe it happened again another time, but I think those are the only two teams that are it's only happened twice. Right? Even the best teams are going to lose games. Right? Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. They lost games last year. Um, so yeah, listen, I love it when the Dallas Cowboys lose. I mean, I love it when the Dallas Cowboys lose. But they've even I, as a Dallas Cowboy hater, I got to say, they they look pretty good this year. And okay, yeah, they had a bad game and they lost. Super Bowl winning teams lose games during the regular season. So, it, I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And by the way, the Cardinals are better than people think. I'm not saying they're the Detroit Lions, but the Cardinals are better than people think. Dow still should have won the game, but hey, you're going to lose games. All right, what's next? Uh, Monkey Pants writes, have you guys ever watched the Castlevania series on Netflix? I think it's awesome. Love the show. Yeah, I wanted it, to. Yeah, it's pretty good. We actually had the the creator and executive producer of the show in our um, on our uh, old hero show. Mm. 
that's one of the more infamous episodes we ever did. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You remember the one we're talking about. Uh, yeah. I was the technical director on that. And that's I literally, right. I was literally sweating because I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Say something. It, it, that was a funny, <laughs> funny interview. The really nice guy too. Super, super nice guy. Just, wow. That was a weird interview. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I do. I like Castlevania. It's a good, I don't think it's like one of the best shows out there, but I, I surprisingly said the style of it, the way it paces its stories and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. I like Castlevania. All right, what's next? John Redcorn writes, uh, oh no, we read that one. Oh, did this skip? Okay, sorry. So Devin Lita writes, Ray Ora is a man. Hopefully that sends that sends this time. Oh, I guess he had sent that in and it didn't. Well, Ray Ora is a man. <laughs> a very you know, hungry man. Yeah. He's every day's man. Yeah, very sleepy and hungry. <laughs> sleepy, hungry man. <laughs> All right, what's next? Um, Corey M. writes, Andor just turned one years old. And wow. I'm in awe of how amazing it is. From the superb writing to the amazing cinematography, no other Disney Plus show has topped it. I've been wanting to, to binge it again, to go through it. I, I am planning on binging it again. Um, it is, I'll stand by this, it's the best Star Wars has ever been since the original trilogy. I mean, obviously nothing touches the original trilogy. And there's been a number of Star Wars things I've really liked since the original trilogy, but forget just Disney Plus. Star Wars has not had anything as good as Andor. That's the best Star Wars we've seen. Um, and there's, listen, it's not a coincidence that it's been nominated for the top prize in television. It's nominated for best drama series at the Emmys. The first Star Wars show to ever be hit such a thing. I mean, it's it's really an impressive feat. It's an amazing, amazing show. It's Star Wars for grownups. But uh, yeah, it's the best thing they've ever done, man. It's just so unbelievably good. All right, what's next? All right, our last one here. Uh, Isaac Martinez with Dune 2 beat Snow White at the box office. I think, I think there's more hype around it. I mean, listen, let's put it this way. The first Dune was the first movie out, the, the first of the, the series out. It got released in theaters, still kind of in the waning days of a pandemic. Yeah. And under the idiotic Warner Brothers decision to put all their movies day and date. So people could have just stayed at home and watched it on HBO Max the same day it came out in theaters. Idiots. And that movie still made over $400 million. Yeah. I think that movie still made over $400 million, mm -hmm. won more Academy Awards at the Oscars that year than any other film. And now you're building on that success. It's, by the way, it's Anne's second favorite movie of all time now. Second favorite movie of all time, only behind Tom Hanks' is Big. It won all those Oscars, got all that acclaim, all that kind of stuff, and now it's going to come out when it's not day and date. Now, I'm not saying it's going to make a billion dollars, okay? I'm not saying it's going to make a billion, but I could see it making $750 million, $800 million. Yeah, yeah I could see it making almost double of what yeah. the first one did. Snow White, I think it can do okay, kind of like Little Mermaid did okay. Uh, I think it can make $400, 500 million dollars. I think if it makes five, it's good. Yeah. I think if they make 500 million with that, I think they got to be happy with that. But I I definitely think something would have to go very wrong for Dune to not to make more money than, than Snow White. Which is crazy because honestly, Dune was never a huge IP. No, it wasn't. Denis Villeneuve made it, made it a must watch thing though. I mean, that's, that's the, oh God, it's just such an impressive movie. That first one. I love that first movie. All right, guys. And that'll do it. For today's installment of Open Mic, thank you so much for being here and making this little live stream a part of your day. A big special thank you to all of our YouTube channel members, number one, for being YouTube channel members and for sending in topics for us to discuss. Don't forget, 
We're going to have another one. Uh, and make sure you guys, we, we put up a, a post. Jonathan puts up a post for all you guys who are our channel members. Mm -hmm. He puts up a post in our community tab every day that we have an open mic that only our channel members can see. And he puts out that call for questions. If you got a topic question, make sure you fire that in. So a uh, big thank you to Chef No Cookies Pleasure. Yeah, cookies tomorrow, baby. <laughs> Jonathan Voico. See ya. <laughs> my name is the cookie-less John Campia. Thank you so much for being here. And until next oh, time, my friends. Poor John. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> poor.